After experiencing the transformative power of a regular meditation practice, it's natural to feel inspired to share this gift and guide others on their own journey of discovery through meditation. Join Buddhist teacher David Nickturn and Duncan Trussell, comedian and creator of the Netflix animated series The Midnight Gospel, for a free online event on Tuesday, May 7th at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. They'll discuss the profound practices of mindfulness Dharma Moon's renowned Mindfulness Meditation Teacher Training Program. Get certified by Dharma Moon to teach meditation, lead group practice sessions, and work with individual students. Visit dharmamoon.com slash beherenow for more info and to reserve your spot for the free online event with David Nickturn and Duncan Trussell. It's Raghu. I'm back with Mind Rolling. And uh, another brand new person who probably isn't that brand new at all. And uh, Michael Gungar. Michael, welcome. Thank you. And uh, yeah, there's so many interesting bifurcations here in our lives. And uh, you have um, one big whopper, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, and and certainly we have to uh, we have to thank Pete Holmes. Yeah, we have as a mutual friend. And, Pete's a yeah Pete's an amazing guy. Yeah, Pete is that. So, um, but yeah, let's just uh, catch us up in terms of this really uh, powerful transition uh, from how you grew up, and uh, of course we all had that, but you seem to have seamlessly w- woven it all together in a really cool way so yeah a little bit of background you from your teenage years to finding yeah. a way that there is a path yeah so I, I i grew up a pastor's kid an evangelical christian pastor's kid who was all about jesus all about um making sure that i lived a life that was pleasing to God. And I was, I was all in, I was really like, I was the kid that was the the good kid in the youth group. I was, you know, I didn't smoke or cuss or date or anything. I was like the, the fundamentalist gold star. <laughs> and I played in the, the praise band and all that. Where was this? And this was in Wisconsin. Wisconsin. Wow. Yeah. And I didn't see that until later how so much of that, um, fervor in my faith was really, it was trying to fix myself. I had a lot of shame. Um, now that I look back, I know a lot of it was just body. Like we, we were raised in the way that our flesh was seen as kind of bad and our, any desire like sexual desire or lust, all that kind of stuff was like, Oh, and I, I had to defeat, the flesh and I felt like I wasn't good enough. Um, and I was really good at that. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think the mental illness term for it these days is scrupulosity. <laughs> a, um, but I was, I was very dedicated to repenting all the time and making sure I was right. Anyway, that got tiring needless to say over the years, that constant, I'm not good enough really didn't work out very well. Um, especially as my faith started to deconstruct, as I went to college and started reading beyond my own camp, my own stories, and and kind of seeing how some of the stories that I was handed were were pretty small. So I ended up losing my faith. Um, all that while I was kind of becoming this Christian musician on the on the scene and the <laughs> like, a, was Grammy nominations and traveling the world and playing big places um all the while kind of doubting is any is any of this real what am i doing here (laughs) um get here yeah how did i get here and then after losing my faith uh kind of went through a season of enjoying not thinking about god very much i'd had like some mystical experiences uh towards the end of my my christian journey um i went to like a 
a, a meditation retreat in Assisi, Italy, and it had uh, started meditating. And but I didn't have any buddy in my life, or hadn't read anything to make sense of what that experience was. That kind of experience of oneness and everything was. I just kind of felt the connection of everything, and I, I, that wasn't part of my lexicon. It wasn't part of my world. It wasn't part of my community. I didn't know what it was. I felt maybe I was crazy, uh, but I loved it. I kind of kept seeking it, and that seeking brought me through a lot of different kind of places, including uh, finding Ramdas um, and his teachings, and Alan Watts, and all sorts of different um, non-dual teachers, and that led me on a journey eventually i took some psychedelic mushrooms with a shaman um Hmm. had a crazy experience with that and basically just uh eventually as oneness kind of stabilized i'd had these high experiences and then um especially that shamanic journey i kind of saw through the ego in a way Hmm. that it's it, it wasn't I wasn't able to go back to to really believe the ego as separate anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, even though the ego would pop its head up and try to, you know, it'd get pissed when the flight attendant would tell me to put my guitar up in the overhead bin sometimes. Uh, I mean, then I couldn't put my guitar up in the overhead bin. Yeah, right. And then Michael Gunger would come screaming back, baby. Uh, <laughs> but, but that sense of oneness and unity and um, I began to find it in all the great traditions, including the tradition that I grew up with, maybe not so much in the very narrow stream um, of it, but there's, if you look deep enough, there's people in all the traditions that were saying the thing (laughs) and, um, and were the thing and were the thing. Yeah. And um, yeah, so it's, it's brought me quite on quite a journey. It hasn't always been, uh, easy sailing as all of that has changed. And I've uh, walked away from so much. And then our old fans or old music fans are like, what are you always, what are you talking about now? Like, what the hell are you talking about? Oh yeah. Tell uh, me about, tell me about that. So you completely, as you evolved in this way that you're speaking of the music evolved, how, how did the music evolve in terms of just the words or what are we talking about? I feel like the, all of the music evolved. I, I, I don't know. I think the way we make art, it comes out of our most fundamental stories about reality, even in ways that are hard to articulate or hard to perceive exactly one-to-one how, you know, when I stopped believing that the world was 6,000 years old, that was in towards the end of high school, but uh, <laughs> which, which is old, which is yeah. old. <laughs> but but uh how that little shift how does that change how i create in this universe that all of a sudden is not this tiny little human centric place uh again it's hard to i think it's hard to maybe tie direct lines to here's how the art musically changed but it did every step of the way as my heart and my soul and uh stopped clinging down to this tiny tiny sliver yeah. of reality uh, I think all the music and all the, including the lyrics, just continually expanded as well. Yeah. It's really pretty fascinating to me. It's such a striking um, evolvement from one thing to another. Uh, and in a, and the way in which you express, you've come full, full circle and, and it's all one woven fabric now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but do you know kind of what happened to us when we some of a bunch of us went back to India with Ramdas when he went mm-hmm. back the second time and met Neem Karoli Baba? One of yeah. the, the central themes, uh, you know, you go back, Hindu guru, you want to get a mantra. So Krishna, you know who Krishna Das is, I think. Mm-hmm. And uh, he tells a, a story that he's made, he's made it its own, his own, which I take umbrage umbrage at uh so it's when i was first there literally probably not more than a week or two i thought okay it's time to get some practice from hindu guru so it was like i I wanted to ask for a mantra right Mm -hmm. normal and 
totally traditional. Mm -hmm. But somehow I said, Maharaji, uh, how should I meditate? Okay. And uh, he said, meditate like Christ. When he was on the cross, there was no pain. He was lost in love with every sentient being. Mm -hmm. And of course, I <laughs> no, that's way, just a little mantra would have been good. Not that, whatever that <laughs> is. Not to mention, hey, I'm Jewish. I don't know anything about Christ. Zero. <laughs> I, I also got brought up in, in a sort of the, uh, a, not quite what you did with uh, Christianity, but certainly conservative. Mm -hmm. Certainly my teachers uh, in, in grade school where I, I was studying half in Hebrew and half in English, if you can imagine such a thing, which totally ruined me for school. <laughs> Basically, I never went to school, I have to say. Um, but uh, so in that moment, it was, it was stark how far away that was from my experience for him to say something like that. Mm -hmm. And especially where we're in the middle of the Himalayas in an ashram. Mm -hmm. And Ramdas came that day. Now, he wasn't there, but he, he returned from somewhere that night. And I said, listen, this, this is what happened, but you have a more convivial relationship with uh, Maharaji. Can you ask him, how did Christ meditate? So he, we went back the next day. I'm, you know, half a dozen of us sitting around him. And, and Ramdas said, you said meditate like Christ. How did he meditate? And then he, Neem Karoli Baba, just went back, closed his eyes, and it was just silent for a while. And that alone was a very powerful experience, being with somebody who wasn't living in duality. Mm. And, and being in that sphere was, was extraordinary and very powerful. And then suddenly, two tears came from mm. his eyes and he opened his eyes and he over and over and over said you don't understand you don't understand he never died mm. he said that over and over he never died he was mm. lost in love with every sentient being he sacrificed himself for everyone and uh we who were sitting there it was as if you were a little kid you know and your parents cry you have no idea we were like blown away that this was happening and basically he was manifesting whatever the christ is mm -hmm. which is whatever any it's this mm -hmm. the name of this wonderful book michael <laughs> just uh, put out and wrote called this and and uh, yeah it's a new name for the ineffable how about that yeah uh, another name yeah another name and and so that began a journey for us of Okay, this isn't about Hinduism, Christianity, yeah. being a Muslim, being a Buddhist, being anything. Um, and and uh, we have this wonderful new movie called Becoming Nobody from Ramdas that's mm. uh, coming out actually shortly in September. And uh, in it, Ramdas says, after he describes his experience with Neem Karoli Baba, and he, he just trails off at one point and said, you know, he really wasn't anybody. Mm-hmm because there wasn't a somebody in there and which is the theme of this whole movie so you going through what you did just talk about uh, so you started to really um absorb other eastern traditions really at this point yeah but strangely in the in the place that i was and thanks to ramdas and what what i would hear from him about what maharaji would teach and stuff that was actually the first time that I would hear people talking about Jesus in several years in a way that I wasn't like nauseous, you know, <laughs> like I would get triggered mm. um, when I would hear about Jesus because I had this whole idea that Jesus was this guy that, I mean, I, you know, he was supposed to be a loving guy and stuff, but he said stuff that really didn't fit the vibe that I, we all wanted him to have. He was supposed to be this loving teacher who told us how to go to heaven when we died. But when you really looked at what he said, it didn't make much sense with that cat. If that's what he was doing, if he was here to tell us how to go to heaven when we died and he really did kind of a shitty job. Like <laughs> he kept saying really confusing things and telling these stories. Wait, what? Tell me. Cause what, okay. So, so let's say 
you know, when a, a rich guy walks up to him and says, how do I get, when he just straight up asks him, how do I get to the, how do I inherit the kingdom of heaven? And if my faith had been true, the true answer would have been, well, you believe in me and you invite me into your life, into your heart, you repent of your sins, and then you can go to heaven. But he looked at him and looked at his scenario, at his scenario and go, said, you have to sell everything you have and give it to the poor. What kind of answer is that? Like, but then he didn't tell everybody else that. He told this rich guy that. That was his attachment. That's this guy's, that's what was holding him back from being this, right? That's what was holding him back from, from being his true self was he had constricted with these, this, his attachments to his belongings and his identity and that. Thing after thing that Christ says, he'd say, I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. I came to div divide family from your parents. Like, these were all things that were totally opposite of what we believe, but it just didn't make sense. He just kind of like, ah, he was a little mysterious. All his parables, why is he teaching in parables all the time? But then when I first heard Ram Dass speaking about Christ, it was like, it was almost like I, I've heard this, uh, I think the guy, first, I, first guy I heard this example from was Brian McLaren, but he talked about how you have all these puzzle pieces in a puzzle. And if you don't know what the box top is, those puzzle pieces are really kind of useless, right? Like if you, if you don't have an idea of what the puzzle is, you can't, they're just pieces. And so we had all these pieces of Jesus's sayings and what he said, and it didn't really fit together. But it's because we had this box top idea of what Jesus was that just totally was wrong. And so hearing it through this new lens of oneness, of um, not Jesus being some special guy that we're supposed to believe in so that he can get us into heaven, but Jesus inviting us into our fullest self and Jesus inviting us into himself. And he would say, I am one with the father. I and the Father are one. You, may you and I be one as well. And I am the vine. You are the branches. And he would say it. And we were just like, uh, and then he'd we'd scratch our head. And then he would say, you don't understand what I'm talking about. <laughs> and then when I was a Christian, we'd read that. And we'd be like, yeah, they don't understand what you're talking about. <laughs> uh, exactly. And it's what Maharaji in that moment said the same thing. Hmm. Essentially, you you just don't understand. You don't yeah, understand. Exactly. You know, you don't understand what it is to be completely at one and interconnected with every uh everything that's manifest in this world. Yeah. Because it it's not something that you can understand, is it? And no. like if you try if you've understood it, now it's a something that you're looking at that's not yourself. Now it's an object out there. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's uh, once you're in subject object land, which we all are. Uh, and you know, there's no chance whatsoever to really experientially know what these beings are talking about, Christ and Maharaji. There's no way on earth. But it's points in uh, points us in a direction. We have uh, again. I'm referring to this movie. It's a little bit of self promotion here, but but the reality is. Um, I talk about, because people say, what is becoming nobody? And I give, well, the, the nth degree, right? The highest level is our experience of Neem Karoli Baba. There was no subject-object duality thing going on there. So it was extraordinary to be in that space where you're not in, in that usual relational thing with another human being, where there's a back and forth going on, where mm -hmm. there's maybe judgments going on, there's projections going on, there's desire going on, there's so many different things going on uh, for the most part. But uh, in this case, there was nothing. But there's only, that's rare in these kinds of beings being in a body, that is a rare thing. But then take somebody, uh, and I give an example of Ramdas, for instance, where when I first met him, he was completely present for me. He put himself aside, or it went aside because of his desire just to be present for me. That is, we can spend a life, and you know, then he'd fall back into maybe Dick Alpert at some points, you know, in his evolution, uh, just like you with the guitar. No, you can't put it up there uh, in, in, on the plane. So, 
but there's a whole lifetime of moving constantly in a way that you understand that ultimately that this somebody that we've created it uh, it needs to be relinquished so that you can really be of service and and that's mm. that's just a, a basic truism so uh i i think that um the the when you talk about the oneness of all these they're all saying that thing mm -hmm. I, they are all saying that thing and maharaji every day would sit we'd come there and he'd go like this only subek in hindi there's yeah. only one yeah i mean that was a constant day-to-day -day thing uh that there is only one and he'd say uh hanuman and christ and krishna it's just one one yeah and it's so funny what the ego does with that like we hear it and then we go cool so what do i need to do to to be there right like how do i get to the one which is <laughs> funny because there's only one there's nowhere else to go there's nowhere else to be there's no one else to be but the the funny thing about the ego is it's the ego is the movement of trying to be something else. It's oneness looking for some other oneness in some funny way, and that's yeah. what creates suffering. Yeah, yeah, and um, and it's also easy for our minds to do real uh, deep uh, flip flops around. Yeah, there's only one. So just let's uh, hang out here and we'll wait for it all to unfold because there is only one and we are already there. We are that thing and we just don't real. Yeah. You know, so there's a, that's my, uh, I take a little bit of umbrage with the non dual thing hmm. as a result that you can ignore uh, a lot of stuff with that up leveling kind of thing. And, and then of course in our tradition, which is the, the bhakti, but it's mixed with Buddhism, like all these retreats we do, uh, always have our Buddhists, we have them there as our backup, <laughs> you know, for mm -hmm. straying into gooey stuff that we might do, <laughs> the gooey hard stuff. But we have Jack Cornfield, he helps us yeah. out that way. That's funny. So, um, so yeah, no, there, there's uh, discrimination is a big deal for sure. Sure, yeah. I mean, from where I come from with non duality, it's uh, non duality has room for duality. It has room for the gooey and the, the prickly and the stoic and the, all of it. It's this all it. just the one still. Yeah. I think we have a new thing here. We, we could really, uh, we'll trademark it. Okay. Can we be partners on the gooey and the prickly? That's good, huh? <laughs> my, wife, my wife and I use that sometimes in our discussions because uh, she's a personality that tends more towards the goo and I'm one that tends more towards the prickly. <laughs> sometimes those are interesting combinations <laughs> i think they're good when they're healthy they're good they're yeah. great combinations uh, good um so i like your poetry too man it's thank you some really i was really touched actually hmm. so the first little poem michael wrote for this look at this book by the way um <laughs> and, it, it took know, some work to get them to not I put my name on the cover I, and uh, I bet. And then, then you open it up into this kind of really cool. Yeah. yeah. Psychedelic thing. Yeah. That? Psychedelic thing. I love that too. So anyhow, here, this, so this book is called this, this book is called this, <laughs> which we, uh, we have mentioned, or in my mind, it's uh, another word for whatever we can't express. So this, I'll, let me read this. I love reading poetry. Yeah. Thank you. This is all there is. Yesterday and tomorrow are just wounds and stories. This is not all there is. There is also that. Desiring milk while you drink water. That is suffering. Of course, that is absurd, for this is all there is. Does this confuse you, beloved? Perhaps I could say it in a different way. If I ascend to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, you are there. You read that in a wonderful way. I loved hearing you read that. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, so just uh, um, the idea of the this, how did this come to you? <laughs> this book. Yeah. Um, 
oh wow i i, I actually started writing the book i think at ramdas's house on really? the street yeah um so in 2017, I, in January of 2017, I went on a retreat to Ramdas's house. And it was, I had had this experience of the dissolution of my sense of separateness. Um, but I didn't quite, I was still kind of like, do I talk about this? How do I talk about this? Ought I talk about this? This is before you uh, went to see Ramdas. You had in, this experience? This is kind of in the time that I went to see Ramdas. Oh, it was okay. kind of like, what do I, what do I do with all of this, um, with this new experience? Because as a person who's talked very publicly about spirituality for my whole life, um, like there was something about this that was so plainly not speakable, ineffable. Um, the the Tao that can be named is not the true eternal Tao, and but then you have all these beautiful souls that speak, right? That try to speak of it, even though it's kind of futile to speak of it. Um, so I'm like, should I, should I, and how much, you know, how much of, I was just kind of in a, I don't know, I started jotting things down. And that, that retreat with Ramdas that, that week was a beautiful experience for me. Um, we sat and I told him, um, a lot of my story and really related to him as far as how Richard Alpert was th this thing, right? It was like this, if Google was around back at the time, Google would have an idea of what Richard Alpert was, you know, like, <laughs> and that for me was this, like Michael Gunger has, it was not just my name as my brand, my job it had a thing. Michael Gunger was the kind of cynical Christian musician and it had this feeling to it. Um, and as a person who was constantly practicing, remembering loving awareness, practicing, remembering who I really am. Uh, sometimes the Michael Gunger, people just calling me Michael Gunger would be like, kind of throw me back. It, it was just, it had a feeling about it. And so Ramdas as we were talking about it, he's like, what kind of name would you like to have? Cause I was like, sometimes Michael Gunger feels like, and I laughed. I was like, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. And he kind of leaned back in his chair, closed his eyes and just waited for a while. And I could feel like ego coming in and going like, Ooh, Ramdas going to give you a name. I'm like, let's just say, Hey, ego, let's just be here. This is a beautiful moment. So just kind of calm down and breathe and just sat there in it for a while while he waited. And then finally he opened his eyes and goes, Vishnu, Vishnu Das. Mm. Um, and he told me about Vishnu. He, he said, um, he's seen me as a person, like I've lived so much of my life in my head trying to figure all this out, trying to make all these constructs make sense together. He said, when you're in your head and your heart, and when those two join, there's Vishnu in this moment. Mm. And, um, and so then he went through and he we just kind of sat in a moment and stared into each other's eyes and we're just present as loving awareness. It was gorgeous. And that name for me was really, uh, it was a real, it was a gift of grace because for people that were really close to me, especially for 2017, 2018, uh, that zone, it was a helpful reminder for people that were close to me that kind of knew my spiritual journey could call me that in a way that called me back to this moment, called me back to the reality of who I really am. And lovely enough, through all that time, the Michael Gunger thing doesn't hold the same weight for me anymore. It doesn't, it doesn't trigger, I needed like a little breath from it from with people really close around me and it was i got i feel like the grace was there for that the vishnu thing was a beautiful gift and it's still some people still call me that um i don't feel like i need it like i i did for a minute there it just to michael is just as much uh part of oneness as, as vishnu <laughs> even though michael's a constriction of oneness but <laughs> yeah. i i don't i don't have to identify with michael anymore yeah, yeah. Vishnu does well, and and you 
well, it meant enough so you put it as a uh, underneath yeah. my, under, underneath your English name. So, um, well, the only thing I would say to that is because this all happened to me mm-hmm. and many of us uh, that were in India back in the day with Neem Karoli Baba, and um, I got my mother, especially she was a problem. Mm-hmm. What do you mean? First of all, my name Ragu is a is a nickname off of the total name, which nobody can pronounce. Raghavendra Das is my <laughs> real name. And even in India, I got on a train after I got the name, and some Indian people said, "What is your good name, sir?" Mm-hmm. And I said Raghavendra Das, and they went, "Huh? What? Really?" And I knew. Okay, I'm screwed now. Okay. Yes, <laughs> they can't say it in India. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, that's funny. So it became Ragu. Uh, which, um, you know, then it's the operator going, who, ragu, spaghetti sauce? You know, so I got that now. Oh, man. Yeah, so, but you know what? In the end, uh, my mother finally did. She did? Yeah, she just, she surrendered and went, and she was a Marxist, so it was a bit of a real (laughs) difficult thing. Uh, (laughs) So, yeah, and uh, it's so... Over the years, certainly, because when I, I was in the music business as well mm-hmm. in Los Angeles for quite some time, and, and you know, so I use, did not use that name in corporate world. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I have found it being somewhat of a rudder. And we can, I can always go back to my English mm. name, Mitchell. He's a screw up. Okay. Mm-hmm. Actually, Sharon Salzberg has a has a she uses yeah, well, when, you know, things I have negative thoughts or do something stupid or whatever, um I blame it on Lucy. She has an invented name. Ah. From where you can go, okay, that bullshit is just Lucy. Okay? That's funny. Yeah. So, I don't know, you might try it on Vishnu Das. Oh, I love it. I've I have tried it on for sure. I I love I love the name, but why I say I don't need it for a while, it, a lot of it is my family, uh, mm. friends that I can tell feel uncomfortable with the name. I'm like, mm. you, please save yourself the trouble. <laughs> like yeah. if you can't, and that's just, I, I'm just speaking for me. I'm jiving you a little bit about that. <laughs> because, uh, it's, um, it, it's, I can completely see where it would have the opposite mm-hmm. effect, where people are now projecting woohoo-ness. In yeah, <laughs> so exactly. I get it. Yeah. So the other thing with the book, I just want, the other thing that I really kind of thought, it's right up my alley, that uh, you chop it up into the Four Noble Truths mm-hmm. and uh, work through that. And I, I thought that is a real, uh, as far as I'm concerned, real benefit for people in terms of realizing um, the reality of the Buddha and what he said. And um, can you, can you recall, there's a couple of cool things you have a, a, very early on a chapter around suffering and uh, you talk about two different kinds of suffering, a mm-hmm. short story, suffering one and suffering two. Can you, mm-hmm. can you recall it? And- I can. Yeah. Yeah. So just kind of making in the book, I make the distinction between pain and suffering. Mm. Um, And I tell two stories of one that really involves uh, some, a lot of physical pain, but it was, I think it was in 2016. I took some mushrooms and went to a flotation tank, (laughs) uh, (laughs) which they don't recommend to do at the flotation place, but I thought it'd be interesting experience. And boy, it was. Uh, but I, I can't recommend it. It wasn't very safe because I got up afterwards and was a mess. Like I somehow got my clothes on, but I didn't dry off. I was all salty. I just walked outside and thought I could turn any car into an Uber to go. <laughs> <laughs> but on my way out, I mean, I was just in this blissed out oneness, total ego death. Um, and I ran into a glass wall on my way out and smashed my nose on it pretty hard just smashed my face right against the glass and i can remember just no suffering whatsoever 
there's this, all this pain, but the pain was just being read as sensation. Just like, wow, look at this. Look at all this color, basically, <laughs> this physical color <laughs> of sensation. Um, so a lot of pain, no suffering. And then I told a different story, which uh, was when I, I had some trace amount of blood in my urine and I had to go get it checked out. And they said they were going to have to take a look up in my bladder. And I was like, how do you, how do you do that? <laughs> X-rays? <laughs> like, no, we're going to have to yeah. physically go up there. I was like, I don't, I only know one way up there. And that's, that's not something I would prefer you to do. Um, <laughs> but, so they said, yeah, sorry, we got to do it. So I'm hoping the scope that they're going to have to put up my penis is going to be, I'm like, it's, you know, 21st century, we're going to have some good technology. That thing looked like fucking garden hose. <laughs> <laughs> it was ridiculous. Um, Everybody cringing out there. It's yeah. okay. It's okay. And think about this because most men after over 50 are going to be dealing with this shit. But, oh, okay. This is just preparing you. Um, preparing you to let go. But yeah, it was so it was terrifying. And I can't say that the thing actually hurt that bad. Like the actual pain, if you would just compare it to, you know, a bad headache, it probably wasn't that bad of pain. Uh, but it was there. And it's the fact that something foreign is going up a place that I don't want it to be. And so the suffering was like traumatically scar I, I i went home afterwards and just like got in the fetal position and was like oh i hated it i <laughs> hated it yeah. and so much suffering mm. even though not a lot of pain mm. right. um and so kind of making that distinction between pa pain is going to happen right pain is part of a body living in an environment thankfully we have a body that perceives patterns perceives uh dangers and, and whatever else. So things happen in our body's experience. Oh, pay attention here. Um, and that can be physical or mental. I think you can have sad days and, but do you have to suffer on the sad day? I think you can make a distinction between if you're having a sad day and you don't want to have a sad day <laughs> and you really cling on to, Oh no, why am I not having a sad, why am I having a sad day? I, sh I wish I was having a happy day. And then it just actually makes the problem worse. It kind of turns it into this, the cycle of suffering because now there's pain, but now you don't want the pain. So that creates more. Yeah. And then you don't want it and you push it away, you push it away, but it just creates more and more suffering. Um, so I actually just kind of embrace, I've, over the, and I just, a couple of weeks ago, um, as the last few years I've been practicing with this, uh, I had this burn on my calf. I, it was a, it was a really hard day, really sad. Like there was some financial stuff that happened in the morning. And then we went, I tried to get a break from all of it. It was real stressful. I went and took a break with my girls and took them to Chuck E. Cheese's. But one of the cars had a flat tire. We have two cars. And then the other one broke down while we were there. So I had my little five-year-olds going crazy and screaming. And we're trying to, it's really hot and trying to get her home. So I call an Uber and end up leaving my wallet in the Uber while I was calling the tow truck. <laughs> Suffering. Is and I know I'm... the guy, I know it was in there, but we had a hundred dollar bill. That was my uh, daughter's birthday present from my mom in the wallet. So the driver, I think saw that hundred dollar bill and said, no, it's not in here. The wallet's not in here. Thing after thing, the tow truck comes. I burn my calf on the muffler of the tow truck. Um, and it really hurts. And the guy just looks at me and is like, That'll wake you up in the morning. And <laughs> it was, and as Ramdas might say, it was grace. It was just so much grace that day, thing after thing after thing of like, am I going to suffer over this? Am I going to grab onto this and be like, fuck no, 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 give me, you know, or am I just going to like let this open me up? Whatever in my body is resisting this. And even that pain as I'm burning on my calf. It felt a little bit more like that um, that float tank nose pain. Like it was a lot of pain, but it was just sensation. I noticed as, as if I didn't resist the pain, if I didn't um, 
want it not to be there. I just noticed it was sensation. It was a tremendous amount of sensation. So this, this recalls to me a good friend of mine who actually works with Ram Dass in Maui. Um, when was it? Last December in our retreat in Maui, we had uh, Joseph Goldstein alongside of his compadre, Sharon Salzberg and mm-hmm. Jack Cornfield, who basically brought Vipassana back to, this, uh, to the West. Uh, certainly to this country. And so my friend Matt was in the car driving Joseph somewhere, and he said, Joseph, if there's one thing that you could tell me as a, a young person on the path that would be of the most, would be most helpful, most efficacious, what would that be? And Joseph just turned to him and went, Stop clinging. Yeah. That's right. it. That's it. It's the whole thing. <laughs> the whole deal. Okay, that was a great podcast. Thanks, Michael. That <laughs> uh, is all of it, though. It is all of it. Uh, but of course, there, and, and by the way, everybody out there, Joseph Goldstein has the best book on mindfulness. It's called Mindfulness. It's like thicker than a, a, a it's a Bible. Okay. And Joseph can elucidate this stuff around mindfulness better than anybody I know. Mm. So uh, that'll be in the show notes. You'll have a link. We've done this before. We can't recommend that book. I can't Mm. uh, more highly. Uh, And in it is prescription. So there are prescriptions and antidotes to the, to the clinging that we do, to the preferences, to the Mm. judgments, to all of it. And uh, so certainly one that's very big in my mind, Michael, is uh, is the way in which we are so absolutely committed to the stories we tell ourselves. And in this book, there, you talk about that a lot. And uh, that's, mm-hmm. I thought, you know, this, this is a, a real value because once, uh, once one understands how we do this and the way in which we are so mm-hmm. caught in it, talk about clinging, uh, it it changes so much so quickly, yeah, in so many different ways. So yeah, talk about your experience with the believing in stories and believing anything you think. Yeah, the the believing the stories thing. I think especially, I don't know if you've heard of the Enneagram, but my my sort of shape of ego wound is the Enneagram Five, which is trying to figure things out. And by figuring things out and you can believe these constructs, you feel like you have a handle on the world. You feel like you have some control and then that makes you feel valuable. Um, And that's how how I lived for most of my life was like, if I just could get the right answers and just figure it out in my head, then then I'll be okay, right? Then all all the shit, all the shame stuff that I'm trying to solve that I've tried to solve with religion and tried to solve with whatever. I just, I just got to have the right thoughts. I got to figure it out. And then you, the new belief comes and the, for a little while, the new belief was oneness. I was like, if I can just, which is funny, it's like the, a real subtle ego game in there. Like I just, I believe that I have to have my ego dissolve. (laughs) Right. Uh, Who's believing that? That's what's funny about it. Like, yeah. um, so when you're believe, there has to be a believer for there to be a belief. So if you find yourself believing things, if you find yourself with really strong opinions that are you're clinging to, like, well, this is how it should be, this is what ought to be, um, that then you already know the believer constriction is there. That oneness is already constricted into thinking that it's something other than oneness. So now I'm Michael Gunger and my beliefs are really important and really true. And I can get all the mysteries of the universe into this little three pounds of meat in my head here. Uh, And so the belief can almost act as a good um, check engine light in a way. If I'm really clinging on to some stories like, well, but this is the true way. And that's not to say that beliefs can't be useful and practically it's not to say i you know that one 
shouldn't have any assumptions. That's, I think that's impossible. I don't know how you would, why would you eat if you didn't assume that it would help keep you alive? You have to, you have to make assumptions to move through the world. But it's, when I'm talking about belief, it's kind of in your internal relationship to those assumptions. Like if, if the world presents itself in a way that your assumption makes you fight reality as opposed to flow with it. I don't know if that's kind of an ambiguous way of saying it, but um, then maybe you're clinging to that story rather than using it. So you can use stories as a way of floating down the river, like a ball, like the Zen Buddhists say. Um, You can use stories to cooperate with your environment and to uh, survive and take care of people and, and notice things like racism and patriarchy and people being oppressed and abused and you can and see those story the stories of separateness they're useful practically um but when you believe them down to the core that's where the suffering there's going to be suffering there because now you're a believer rather than someone who's flowing with stories and seeing the stories as just part of the play that's going on within the oneness um you actually start believing that that's how things are and now you're cut off from your source yeah you say actually nicely in the book, uh, story is what turns one into two, mm. unity into different. Story looks at an ocean and draws a line around part of its movement and says, let there be wave. Story is a prison through which a single beam of uniform sunlight becomes a rainbow of different colors. It can transform an amorphous ball of Play-Doh into a house or a world or a thousand tiny Buddhas. And I think uh, really well said. And I, I, I do think what you're saying, the, the real truth is in the spaciousness that we can have around belief in our thoughts, belief in our projections, belief in our attachments, belief in our de- desires, preferences, all of it. Mm. If there's a little bit of space and... Uh, Go back to this movie. This is a good movie, by the way, Michael. Go. Where are you? You're in L.A.? Up. Yeah. Okay, September 6th in L.A. I, uh, actually, come on the 8th, because I'll be doing a panel after. Oh, cool. Me. In yeah. L.A.? Yeah, at the oh, Lemley, Lemley Royal. Uh, oh, great. West Hollywood. Um, so in it, there, at one point, uh, the whole screen is this gray, like, cloud. Right? And that cloud represents all of the dark negative thoughts and emotions and everything we're in fear of yeah and then he talks about so suddenly the frame expands a little bit and then you see a little bit of blue in one corner and that blue from that blue sky you you go oh yeah okay that's a bunch of gray cloud bunch of junk that's been rolling around in my head and a bunch of fear and a bunch of separateness. Oh, wow. And, and you have uh, suddenly you're relating with that true place of awareness that we all have that's going on all the time. And, but from that awareness, you get a little bit of spaciousness uh, around being so absolutely glued by these uh, negative thoughts and emotions and so on. Mm. So I, I love that. Uh, that analogy it's a great one yeah that's beautiful yeah and developing you know which is again through mindfulness is developing awareness and through awareness we create spaciousness around the really troubling thing around everything but certainly most troubling things that we run into on a day-to-day yeah i think that mindfulness thing is so important i think from a distance sometimes that you can wonder people can wonder about how are all these things like mindfulness and oneness and things tied together? And I think that mindfulness in my practice, anyway, um, when you're, when you pay attention to your body right now, when you pay attention to what's happening right here and right now, it's harder to get lost in those stories, right? Like the stories that you're suffering with, um, they don't actually exist right now. Like as any sort of, when you're thinking about what's going to happen tomorrow, what happened yesterday, those things are not actually happening right now. And you're just lost in those moments. 
those illusory moments rather than feeling what's happening. So you, if you're paying attention to sensation or to breath or to malas or whatever it is, you're paying attention to now. You're paying, sensations only happen now. So that mindfulness, when it comes back to the present moment, um, some of those stories kind of lose their power. Yeah, yeah. It's right. beautiful. There's one wild thing, by the way, in, in the book, which is a quote from your daughter, who at the time was three years old. Amelie? Yeah, Amelie. Amelie. She said, there's blood in your heart, and Jesus is in the blood. <laughs> and I don't even, I didn't even get to read the whole chapter. You know, it's kind of where I got. Um, one day, so it just tripped me into this thing I thought I had to mention to you. One day, um, Ramdas and I and Krishnas and a few other people were sitting with Maharaji. He was like looking out, he was in a room looking through a window, uh, a screen. And uh, Ramdas was lamenting over the fact that he felt completely impure. Hmm. And, uh, and Maharaji looked at him. <laughs> no, what do you mean? You're not impure. I let you go peel potatoes in the kitchen. Like, only, of course, if yeah, you yeah. had lived in India, would you understand that with food, yeah. you know, uh, foreigners are not considered proper to be in a kitchen that's Brahmin, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. know, it's all that kind of stuff. Maharaji, all, he, all day long, he was cutting through all of that stuff. Mm. So he said that. And then he said, the same blood runs through all of our, uh, the, mm. the blood of Christ runs through wow. all of our veins. Wow. So you're a three-year-old. Yeah. That's so great. I love that. <laughs> yeah, she's going to be a, I mean, she already is, but she's been asking the questions, the big questions since, really? since she was three. Like, what is all of this? Since that, that question, uh, that's the question that'll, that'll lead you some to yourself eventually usually yeah, i think yeah no absolutely and then of course uh, we're just kind of at the end of this uh our thing here uh but towards the end we talk about to me this is the final and great interpretation although comes with a caveat for what this is and the chapter is this is love and of course, I know that you are not talking about the transactional stuff that most mm -hmm. of us uh, assume when that word comes along. Um, I like to use the word uh, love with no cause mm. to mm -hmm. differentiate it a little bit. And Ramdas, of course, uses unconditional because that's mm -hmm. our experience. Uh, once you see somebody absolutely knows every thought in your head and everything you've done past, present, future, and is living in, in the universal consciousness, then it's hard for you, you know, at that point you're like, okay, I, I'm going to let that go. Mm -hmm. Just, uh, it, and it ends up uh, that that love is there unconditionally is, is a, you know, it's an incredible thing. Mm -hmm. And, and that experience again, doesn't have to happen by going to India. Uh, as you, uh, you yourself have experienced over these years. And uh, so this is love, and that love is absolutely interconnected with everything, uh, was the message that we got all the way back then when we went to India, and it's, and it's what we understand now, it's what we see now in terms of uh, there's a lot of tough stuff going on in this world and how people are really showing up. Uh, working on themselves and, and doing social action mm. and not thinking that they're separate and there's much more unity with, within that. Uh, I really believe in next generation. I mean, you're a little further along than that, but you're not that far removed. So, you know, it, it's, uh, it's, it's quite a wonderful thing. This is love. Yeah. Yeah. I think that love I don't, I think for human beings, love is one of the more easy ways to, to dive into the heart of this. If this, so like towards the end of the book, I tell the story about when the Buddha held up the rose as his wordless sermon and like, here's all you need to see. This is all you need to see to get 
anything I would ever say. You won't, I won't say as much as this rose. Just look at it. Of course, he didn't say that. He just held it up. Um, but so I think all of it can be found in any of it. And I think you see that in all the great teachers. Jesus would, I think that's why he used parables. He's like, look over here. Look at the birds. Look at the flowers. It's all here. There's nowhere to go. There's nothing to see other than what it is. But for some reason, love, um, I don't know why, but as a, as a human organism, it feels to me that's, a, that's one of the easier entry points into that kind of mm. dissolution of the separateness, right? It's Absolutely. Like, so it kind of love brings you out beyond your constrictions, mm. but that's what everything's doing. Everything is constantly uh, just the beingness of everything. You look at the flower, look at the a cloud in the sky, look at whatever you can. If you pay attention enough to anything, you can see it all there. Mm. Um, but love seems to be like a good introduction <laughs> to this. Well, it's yeah. our whole our whole tradition is is held within. Actually, it's uh, I mean, uh, as you know, if you've ever seen Krishnadas or heard of him, uh, chant the kirtan. Yeah, we do is a big big factor in our uh, practice for sure, yeah. and it's all about going you know going into heart and having that open yep. automatically so you know Hare krishna iskan the Hare krishna Hare ram there's mm -hmm. the, it's called the maha mantra and as far as they're concerned they're, they're they may do stuff that's a little bit like where you came out of in terms of there's only one way but uh but they say that uh, and it is said in india that opening the heart the doorway to the unity is through the heart and opening the heart is done through the repetition of the names of God. So, mm -hmm. so that's what's espoused. And um, I, I was uh, a few years ago, I was at one of their, a friend of mine brought me to one of their convocations up in the mountains of North Carolina. And uh, it was just constant, nonstop, this mantra being repeated with different melodies and instruments. I mean, it was phenomenal. Uh, it, and then I finally, and uh, one particular uh, Chant guy, his name is, and I'm telling you, we'll put a link up. Don't forget, guys, put a link up to Madhava Prabhu, because I, after hearing him and chanting with him, I, I almost became, I joined. I was going to join the cult. You're right. Ah! <laughs> Just do the mantra. Stop <laughs> thinking about all this shit, and you'll be fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was ready to join. <laughs> <laughs> Oh God! Uh, I'm gonna get burned at the stake. You know, you know, it's, cults seem like a good time. I feel like I have a decent chance of joining a cult someday. Yeah, you do. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe we'll go together. Yeah, well, let's do that. We'll do that together. It's much more fun. <laughs> go with a friend. Yeah, go with a friend. Get out before the guns come out. Yeah, you know, yeah. just get out before they start. To <laughs> but the reality <laughs> is, uh, also, any of the. I mean, this is from me personally to everybody. Uh, the reality of certainly using discrimination, using mindfulness, uh, meditation is extraordinarily important to get some kind of space from being caught the way that we, we can get caught by our thoughts. At the same time, I recommend the practice doing some uh, music. Well, Michael, we well know this, is uh, an incredible way to yeah. allow the heart to open. And then if you add in that these mantras all have a certain resonance that's meaningful and you can allow that to happen without doing too much thinking about it, uh, yeah, it's, it can be a powerful practice. Yeah, I, I actually say in the book, I, looking back, I think my, primarily, my primary spiritual practice for most of my life was music. Yeah. Like, yeah. same thing with mindfulness. Music doesn't, you can't make music if you're not in the moment. You literally have to stay in time, right? You have to stay in this moment. Otherwise, you're rushing or you're dragging or whatever. And uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of music as spiritual practice. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, this is a fun book, Michael. Thank you. And everybody, you're going to get links to this uh, on that website. <laughs> yeah. com slash mindrolling. You'll go there. There'll be show notes for all the stuff that we're talking about. And uh, becomingnobody.com is the place to go, everybody. It, it'll play through the fall. 
in most places uh, uh, the movie and becomingnobody.com you can see where it's playing and you can take a look at the trailer and all that stuff uh, this is a uh, four years in the making but for me it's more like 45 years mm. making since uh, my first meeting with Ramdas. maybe even more but I, it's getting too weird to talk about that kind of span of time <laughs> so i try not to but so, but Raghu, you're the unborn, you know. So yeah, that's right. I need you to remind me about that. You'll send me text <laughs> every week, will you? Uh, <laughs> thanks again, Michael. It's been great. And yeah. uh, everybody, this is Mind Rolling on the Be Here Now Network. Go to BeHereNowNetwork.com, uh, where there's the plethora of amazing podcasts and teachers. See you next week. Mm-hmm.